the second time I'm attempting to preach this message. I trust the Lord give me the strength to do it. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Verses 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers serve that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24 is like chapter 23. Chapter 23 dealt with history from the crossing of the Jordan River to Shiloh, where Joshua reminded Israel of the past goodness of God. And he called them to recommitment to covenant duties, the gospel. That's what it meant. Chapter 24 deals with history from the formation of the nation of Israel, beginning with Abraham in Genesis 12. Joshua knew the scriptures, and Christians should know church history. If we know church history, we would behave different. Joshua knew the history of his people. In both chapters, Joshua concluded by challenging Israel to serve the Lord in sincerity. It was really an evangelistic call. It was the equivalent to believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. He didn't say those words, but that's what he meant, Charlie. This is the nature of preaching. This is what Joshua was doing in this discourse. First, we must bring attention to God's faithfulness in history. But we must call men and women and boys and girls to accountability. This was the method the apostle Peter used at Pentecost. He went back to history. This was the method Stephen used in Acts 7 before he was stoned to death. And at times that can be expected. This is the preaching the Lord expects from his servants today that stand behind the pulpit. God is the God of history. The world do not operate on autopilot. God works his plan out in history. We are living in history. And God is unfolding his redemptive plan. He's calling, like the song you just sung just now, people to repentance. The exhortation I read to you in Joshua 24 
verses 14 and 15. I pray that my voice would roll out and that you should pray like that. As I said, it was an evangelistic appeal to Israel to be sincere, to put away their idols and serve him in truth. By the way, this is what the Lord said that true worshipers would do. So it's an evangelistic call today to those in the church, to you who are present with me. But there's a point I must make at this juncture quickly. The words or the phrase or the sentence, choose you this day who you will serve, are often used by many to support a person's free will to choose God. This assumption is made because the rest of the chapter is not read. It is ignored. You do not isolate passages and form a doctrine. That's the mistake people make. Joshua was not given Israel a choice to serve the true God. Man does not have a choice to make when it comes to serving God. We are commanded to love the Lord with all our hearts and serve him. It's a command like any other command that we can't keep unless the Holy Spirit does a work of reformation in our hearts. Man does not have a choice to make when it comes to serving God. In fact, he will not serve God. We're commanded. Joshua is showing man's absolute inability, his total depravity. That's where the doctrine comes out. This is what you don't like. This is what we preach. No time in history was Israel a saved nation. No time. In the days of Moses, they were stiff-necked. In the days of Joshua, they were the same. In the period of the judges, Israel did what was right in their own eyes. Throughout the history of the prophets, they did not believe. Hear what Jeremiah 7, 22-26 said. Jeremiah 7 22 through 26. I think you heard some of this already, but this was already written. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I'll be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk you in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearken not, nor incline their ear, but walk in the counsels, in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day I have sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily, rising up early and sending them.
We should take note of these words. Israel as God's covenant community were never a community of believers. What makes you and me think that the church is any different today? What makes you think that the City View Baptist Church is a group of all believers? You're kidding yourself. That should cause you to adjust your teaching and preaching. And some of you are wasting time. Preaching rubs people the wrong way. We are no different. What makes us think that it is normal for a gathering of people to love the Lord Jesus? What makes you think that way? You need to rethink. What Joshua was saying to Israel is, and I paraphrase, make up your minds which of the false gods you want to serve. The gods on the other side of the river or the gods of Canaan where you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I just paraphrase it for you, like so many other commentators did. Joshua could only swear for himself. No one else. He had every right to because he obeyed the Lord fully like Caleb. These words about us for me and my house have a broader interpretation. Joshua is 110 years. As a matter of fact, he died at 110. How much longer he got to live to serve the Lord? Joshua has no assurance that his household, Ephraim, would serve the Lord. As a matter of fact, there were a bunch of idol worshippers. And if you study your history, you'll see. Read Hosea. Ephraim has turned to idols. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Ephraim is a backsliding heifer. Read your Bible. Joshua doesn't have any assurance that his house would be saved. He can speak for himself. Well, you better be able to speak for yourself if you are saved. But because Joshua is a beautiful type of Christ, only Christ can say emphatically, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's where you must find the application. Not in Joshua, but in Christ. Because he is the one that grants his people the will to do of his good pleasure. He will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The sentence finds fulfillment in Christ and his elect who will serve the Lord. And if you're here today, I say to you, I don't expect you to serve God. I don't expect you to love him. But if you belong to Christ, you will. So I don't want to leave you guessing. That's not my preaching. 
I want to leave you thinking, why am I not serving the Lord? Because if you don't serve the Lord, you're going to serve something else. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15 has new covenant implications. No one can will to serve God on their own efforts. No one can come to Jesus except the Father draws him. In fact, we all must be careful not to say with arrogance, I will serve the Lord. That's dangerous. Many have made great lofty statements. And when the winds blow and the floods came, they drift away. We must be very humble. By God's grace, I will serve him. By God's strength, I will serve him. That's what they should have said. Instead, we will, we will. I will share this outline with you this morning. One, an appraisal of history. Verses 1 to 13, a very lengthy chapter. I will do the best as I can under the circumstances. Two, an appeal to Israel, 14 and 15. Three, a verbal agreement of the people, verses 16 through 24 try to cover as much material with God's help. Appraisal or overview of history. Verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Sheshem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and they presented themselves before God. Joshua covers Israel history in this discourse from Ur of the Chaldees to Canaan. He's in Shishem when he goes back. But we must not only view this scripture from a historical perspective. True, it is history. But if we only view it as history, we will miss some very important truths that I intend to share. The nature and the character of God's redemptive plan for man is carefully and wonderfully spelled out in the narrative where Joshua shows the work of God in three stages of history <coughs> in establishing the nation of Israel. Three stages of history. First, we see divine intervention, verses 2 through 4. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they serve other gods. Abraham did not always have faith. He was a heathen. He was a Gentile. 
God intervened in the life of Abraham. He was not a native believer in God. He did not have faith. The words, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time is more than a geographical reference. It is a spiritual truth. Abraham is a picture of all men of all time. We are on the other side of the flood. We were born separated from God. That's what it means. If the Lord do not intervene in our lives, we would die on the other side of the flood. We would go to hell. Like Abraham's father, Terah did. You remember the story in Genesis 11. You should read it. Verse 31 and 32. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran. And the word Haran means that which is parched. And dwelt there. It's a picture of the world. And the days of terror were 205 years. And guess what happened? Terror died in Haran. Apparently, Abraham told his father Terah that his intentions was to follow the Lord's call in going to Canaan. He told his family, but terror died before getting there. Read the history. Terror died before leaving her of the Chaldees, his native land. You understand the picture? You understand the picture, sister? You want me to explain it? Louise, you want me to explain? You want to sign the picture? It's a dramatic picture before us. We are not surprised that terror never made it to Canaan. God did not intervene in his life. God did not extend to him a call. He extended to Abraham. God is under no obligation to save anyone. We don't like this. He sovereignly called Abraham. Apparently, Abraham had some influence on Lot. He was another rascal who went with him. And at times, families are under the same gospel. And you say, you see it in your church. And you see it in your home. But only one in a family is drawn to Christ and becomes saved while the others continue on their way. God is suffering. And you may wonder, how come I laboring and laboring? God is suffering. God could have brought terror, but he's showing you a picture. I save not he that will, or he that runs, but I show mercy. This is a beautiful gospel. 
The problem is we wouldn't preach it. Notice verse 3, how God emphasized what he did. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. Wow. God is emphasizing that it is he that took Abraham from the other side of the flood, just as he have taken his elect from the other side. Hell. God intervened in Sarah's barren state, causing conception when she was past age. Not a picture. Romans says it beautifully in Romans 4. Abraham, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness, notice the words, dead, deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, <coughs> giving glory to God. 90-year-old women do not conceive. You can try it. They have passed the age of producing the means to conceive. 100-year-old men do not conceive children. It requires a miracle. It requires intervention. That is what salvation is. You cannot conceive seed. In your own effort. You cannot twist God's hand. Like Abraham and Sarah did. Chaos. Would happen. Joshua 24. 4, We're taking our time. Because I want to show, show you. God's redemptive plan. In history. How it matches. God's salvation plan now. And you should know these things. Verse 4, And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau. I gave unto Esau Mount Seir. God bless Esau. But Esau was not the seed of promise. That's why he behaved the way he behaved. To possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt sojourn. So in this appraisal of history, Joshua shows divine intervention. Instead of saying intervention, using the one word outline I use, divine intervention. Second, B, God show us here general redemption. Verse 5, I sent Moses also on Aaron. This is another stage in history. I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward I brought you out. Moses is known as the great deliverer. Some years ago in the 60s, there's this famous black preacher rise up. 
and try to imitate Moses. Let my people go. And the people are still shackled by sin up to this very day. Let my people go. Which people is he talking about? And let them go from what? This was not what Moses did. We need to get it right. We need to stop following these people. Moses was a type of Christ. Moses is known as a deliverer. But Moses could not even deliver himself. He was running for his life. He was used by God. To show us what Christ looked like. Moses' redemption, let me say about it quickly, was a general redemption. All of Israel were led to safety. Not one drum. The Egyptians were trying to imitate what they were doing. All of them were washed upon the shore. That's the unsaved. Tampering with the gospel. But the, the redemption of Israel, God's people, including the mixed multitude, came across. It was a general redemption. Mixed multitude later began giving Israel bare licks, just like in here. It's always the mixed multitude that give the church problems. It was not a peculiar redemption like us today. Connie, you know the word, peculiar redemption. And if I was to ask you what is the difference between you preachers, general redemption and peculiar redemption, you wouldn't know. Peculiar redemption simply means God will save in totality the elect. It was not a peculiar redemption. It was a general redemption. Don't get mixed up. 2 Samuel 7. And what nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom thou went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people which thou hast redeemed to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. Israel redemption from Egypt was a physical general redemption. I hope you understand this. If you don't understand anything and, you, and you're teaching the Bible, Israel was saved physically as a nation, as a type of God's peculiar redemption. It was not that they were spiritually redeemed Exodus 13, 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Israel's redemption was fit, free and full. Not one perish. This is a wonderful picture where the Lord said, All that the Father gave to me shall come to me. 
and he that come to me shall never be cast out. Christ is the one that gives peculiar redemption. Wonderful picture. Verse 7 goes on. Ex Exodus. Joshua 24, 7. Then they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought that brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And ye dwelled in the wilderness a long season, 40 years. But let me tell you something. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 3, reminds us of this history, saying to us today, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, just like I said, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat. Here we see the nature of this general redemption. It was meant to show us what salvation is. But Israel was never a secured people spiritually. They were not redeemed. For the same apostle said, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. That word means scattered. Just read numbers. One day, 21,000. The next day, 18,000. The next day, 20,000. On and on and on. Miriam, not, not you, Miriam. Miriam died there. She dared to challenge Moses. Aaron died there. Moses the giant died there. Not that he was an unbeliever, but it's a picture to remind us. Israel was never a secure people. Jude verse 5 says this, listen. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, Afterward, destroy them that believe not. This word save, that isn't the word sozo. This word is a word that means to rescue. Because if it was sozo, it would have meant that they were eternally saved. Elmira. You understand? And today God saved people like that. When you come into the church... You young people, God will save you from all the ills of society. You may be able to live a clean, moral life. If your parents have any fortitude to keep you away from the vices of immorality. But those things in themselves don't save you. Many girls that grow up in the church are virgins when they are married, 
And sometimes you better hear these things from the pulpit and not high school. Yes. And that's why men come into the church looking for clean women. But that doesn't save you. You must believe on the Lord Jesus. You must submit to him. And a lot of people use this church and have used this church to come in here and to pull out who they want. And the one they pull out is just like them. When you meet a saved person, the two of you can unite and live the Christian life. So redemption can be viewed in two ways, general and peculiar. Israel's redemption was not secured. Today we should not place any emphasis on spiritual props and ordinances like the Lord's Supper, baptism, church attendance. One can take part in these things and can be as ungodly as Lucifer. And I'm seeing it every day of my ministry. The substance of a person's salvation is the Lord Jesus. So the servant Joshua gives an appraisal of history of the nation of Israel. And I give you two showing divine intervention, showing general redemption, but thirdly, showing sustained provision, verses 8 through 10. Sustained preservation. Let me add that and leave out the fourth one. Sustained preservation. It was God who preserved his people. Messiah was to come. We read in verses 8, True thing. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwell on the other side of Jordan. They fought with you. I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab. Now, this is deep, deep into numbers. Arose a war against Israel. And I sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken to Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. God preserved his people. Just like how God preserved his church over the years. The psalmist says, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sake saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. God has preserved us. Why do you think I'm standing to in front of you here today? You think it's because I took NyQuil? You need to give God thanks. The Lord preserved the nation because in the fullness of time, Christ was to come through the seed of Abraham. But God didn't have anything to do with Israel to preserve anybody today. His plan is complete. The church is being built. That's what God preserves. 
Let me get this straight. I ain't here going along with that nonsense. Verse 11 continues. I read verse 11. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. The Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. You keep seeing this repeated, don't you? Verse 12, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with sword, not with bow. And I have given you the land for which you did not labor, cities you did not build. You dwell in them of vineyards and olive yards which you didn't plant. These gifts God gave to Israel is meant to show his redemption is offered freely. We don't work for it. We don't deserve it. <coughs> this is Joshua's appraisal of Israel's history. He showed three things. Divine intervention. General redemption. Israel's preservation. Let me ask a question as I move to the second point. Was there a time in history when there was divine intervention in your life? Is there a time in history when God intervened in your rebellious life? Is there a time? Can, can you remember that time? A lot of people come into the church. They were never washed. They were never cleansed. They never believe. They give a lot of trouble. Was there a time in history when there was a divine intervention? Was there a time when you turned to God in repentance? Is there a time that you can recall when you truly sought the Lord's grace on your knees like I did in an apartment over 40 years ago on my face? Is it real? Is there a time in your life you can remember? when you commit yourself. We should remember these things. Joshua gave an appraisal of history what God did. Every Christian has a story to tell. I was shacking up. God drove me away. Some of you might still be shocking up. Don't stop coming here. Come. I want you to come. Dabbling. Is there a time in your life when you turn? Point number two, an appeal to here is 14 and 15. I have tried twice to preach this message. This is the second time. And it was almost the third time. I probably would have scrapped it. That's what the devil wanted. But not, that's not what God wanted. 
appeal to hearers. Read this text many times, I, but I want you. I, this is this is a this is a key text. I read it to you. And wouldn't read it again. I will exegete it. Consider some things about this appeal by Joshua. First, it was present. No, therefore fear the Lord. The Lord is appealing through Joshua to men. His appeal is never future. In verse 14, but it is always present. No, therefore fear the Lord. Do I hear something playing? Like a radio or something? Okay. Okay, definitely you got your own piece there listening to. Okay, what's outside? My ears are very sensitive. Well, well let's consider these things quickly. It was a present appeal. The Bible says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. The Bible says, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. My appeal to you is present today. Now, God knows the potential of our evil hearts, that they may not be the same next time. We may not be in the same frame of mind next week. Our hearts may no longer be applicable toward the gospel. Therefore, the Lord's call to us is present now. Therefore, fear the Lord. We can put off. Notice, secondly, in verse 14, God's appeal was practical. And serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers serve. It's practical because we have things, practical things in our lives to let go. <clears throat> put away. The phrase put away is similar to divorce. Divorcing oneself from an object. Lay aside. Divorce yourself. From that idol. Ephesians 4.25 uses this word in the Greek. Wherefore, putting away lying. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. Liars. You don't know, Christians can lie. For we are members one of another. Lie, lie, lie. Notice thirdly that this appeal was unique. And serve ye the Lord. Serve ye the Lord. A lot of people said they couldn't go to the retreat because they had schoolwork to do. They didn't prepare to do the schoolwork before. As a matter of fact, one of them to the, to the very last, and they may be hearing me, opted out. The very, down to the wire. Our children do not love the Lord and they do not love church. It's a judgment upon the homes, a terrible judgment in the last days. 
And apparently some of us don't see God's judgment. When God is going to bring judgment, he judges the church. He takes away the gospel from preachers. Takes away the gospel from homes. No more devotions, no more Bible reading. Takes it away. I said, the call is unique. Serve the Lord. Unique in the sense that there is only one Lord, Jehovah. I am the Lord. And beside me there is no Savior. Isaiah 43, 11. Verse 14 and verse 15 of Joshua 24 is an evangelistic appeal then. <clears throat> it is evangelistic appeal now. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him <coughs> in sincerity and in truth. So then I have hurried the second point. We have seen this appraisal or this overview of Israel's history. I spent time in there because it is juicing with redemptive history. We saw the evangelistic appeal by Joshua, put away the gods and serve God only. We come finally to the agreement of the people of Israel. This is the one that I would like to explain. <clears throat> the agreement. 16 to 24. You can slot out that, but I will not be covering those verses. I will just be highlighting some of them. First in verse 16 and 17. The people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you were to examine the agreement, the agreement clause in this contract by the people of Israel, they are but shallow at best. No real substance, Brother Charlie, or conviction in their agreement. It is like a so-called decision that people make in the church today. Let me show you what I mean. Israel's decision was based on emotionalism. Verse 17, for the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt. They saw the prop. That's why we will serve him. Many today have one reason or another why they are connected to the church. God did something good in their lives or their families. They feel obligated to give back to God an hour or so. God did something. Emotionalism. The seed of the word fell on rocky soil. As soon as the sun comes up, the seed was scorched. No fruit. Emotionalism. Another wrong reason men give for committing themselves to Christ is seen in the second. Materialism. 17b. The Lord brought us from the house of bondage which did those great signs in our sight. We saw something. We saw a manifestation and preserve us in all the way wherein we went. 
and among all the people through whom we passed. They had vineyards they never planted, houses they never built. God is good. Hear them say this. God is good to me. But this is no reason why we are to serve God. None. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Where is the materialism? Jesus said, you want to follow me? Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. Son of man have no place to lay his head. Obviously, Jesus lived somewhere. He lived with somebody. Materialism is crippling this church. No time to serve. Third reason given why they'll serve the Lord, sentimentalism. I just run through these quickly with you. Verse 18, the Lord drove out before us all the people. And today you'll find a group of people connected to God because of these things. Moses, the temple, and they're still looking for the Messiah. The church is no different. I was baptized. I took communion. I sit under Reformed theology. Go with sentimentalism. These things <coughs> God did, but they are not the basis for serving God. <coughs> Not once did they say, we'll serve the Lord because he redeemed our souls from hell and destruction. Not once did we read of a heartfelt sorrow for sin against Moses and Aaron. These men died on the other side. Not once did they say they were sorry. And not once have people truly repented in this church. They were offended the preacher Treated him with scant respect. Serving the Lord. You better listen up. Because I find some of us are not listening. If you listen, you'll read between the lines. A man can barely talk. All the love and compassion. Today, most of what we hear is by a shallow profession of faith. Oh, I believe I was baptized. I believe because my mom believed. I believe because the pastor said I must believe on Jesus. These things would not wash on the day of God's wrath. At least these ones were not atheistic like some of our children today. To deny the events in scripture as those today who deny the flood or as the Sadducees who deny the resurrection. But a verbal profession is not enough. 
It's like what many say today that we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. <clears throat> Let me say something quickly. If the second part of this verse is not true, even so that we should walk in newness of life. If this is not true in a person's life, the first part that we are buried with him through baptism is not true. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Because those who are buried with him in his death have learned to put to death the flesh. Verbal agreement does not mean anything. There is to be inward change. Otherwise, we're just like these people. As a matter of fact, it was not the first time these people said this, you know. They said this to Moses. God went back to Moses and Moses said, yeah, they said they'll serve me. God said, oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children. I ask you again, what makes you think it is different here? Ain't no different here. I was laboring here for 30 years, and some people are still the same. I will serve the Lord. Which Lord? The Lord concurred with Joshua that it is not in the heart of man to fear the Lord. And this is why, brethren, I don't want to leave you high and dry. This is why the new covenant is superior. For God has said, a new heart will I give you. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away that stony heart from you. And I will give you a heart of flesh. You may understand that, therefore, you don't need no one teaching you, know the Lord. For all shall know me. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. That's what it comes down to. Forgiveness of sins. So when we read Joshua 24, go home and read it, but make sure you read it with all of Joshua 24. And by the way, Joshua died. And not soon after his death, the people went whoring after other gods. They went whoring after other gods. Who will serve us now, Joshua gone? Or off Neil will serve us. And a series of judges coming and going. 
study Bible history, you will be amazed. It comes right home. When we read this, Joshua is not calling on anyone to choose God. He's showing man's inability to make that choice. Joshua is calling upon us to obey the Lord. He's calling on us to be sincere in repentance. This is what God gives to anyone who comes in him by faith. This is how Abraham came. Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. The word is not, is nigh thee. It is not far from thee. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thy heart that God have raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. May God bless you. I finish. Holy One, we stand before you destitute, dependent on your grace and your mercy. Could it be that this year, 2024, would be a difference, would be the watershed period in our lives where we have a commitment to serve the Lord in sincerity and truth? And for those, my brethren, who are on the peripherals, who are marginal at best, who are not converted, may this be a year where they will call upon you for salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.